Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to turn to Acts chapter 7. Uh, man, I love the end of that song, Redeeming Love Has Been My Theme and Shall Be Till I Die. Amen to that. And while you're flipping there, uh, like I said earlier, this is our uh, final uh, week, uh, at least right now, uh, in the book of Acts. And so we're going to finish up Acts chapter 7 this morning. Uh, we're going to kind of give a little snapshot of 8, 1 through 3 to kind of set us up for uh, right now. The plan is in the fall to jump back into uh, the book of Acts and pick up where we left off and, and kind of keep going. Uh, and so we're not sh- quite sure what we're doing yet this summer. Uh, as far as summer series, I kicked around some ideas, uh, but uh, we will see. Uh, I would say pray for Luke this morning. Uh, he's preaching somewhere, but he's not preaching somewhere. He's on vacation, so we don't have to pray for him. He's at the beach. Uh, and so now I pray that he gets, he gets rest. I know he's, he's been bowed up with school uh, a lot and obviously still preaching in here. And so we just need, he needs some rest. And so uh, Acts chapter 7. So if you haven't been with us, uh, this is kind of the transitional time, transitional chapters, Acts 6 and 7 and the book of Acts. And so uh, previous to Acts chapter 6, uh, the church had been born, the spirit or the spirit came down, the church was born. Uh, but they hadn't went out yet. Uh, and so they were hanging out in Jerusalem. Uh, we see them growing. We see them uh, begin to get in trouble by the Sanhedrin. Uh, and so I want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, uh, first of all, when we talk about the Sanhedrin, uh, get in your mind like the, uh, the, the biggest or the, uh, how can I say it, like the Supreme Court. Uh, like, think about like the, the people who, um, run the show, if you will. Uh, they're the ones who, uh, you know, make sure the law is upheld. Uh, they hold power in their hands uh, and things like that. And so as we walk through the passage today, think about like the, the elite, the prestigious people, if you will, and see how really things transpire uh, for them. Uh, but anyway, uh, and so we, we saw that really the church was growing, even though uh, the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders were uh, opposing that, that actually their opposition f- fanned the flame of Christianity's growth. But for the most part, they were still hanging out in Jerusalem while at the same time, remember, Jesus had told them that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem. Yes, but also Judea, Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. But up uh, to this point, they just hung out in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter six. We're introduced uh, to uh, seven men who were elected to serve widows in the ministries of the church. But one of those guys, the first guy we see is named Stephen. Uh, he was full of uh, faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's another guy named Philip and five other dudes uh, that, are, are, that are chosen there to, to serve the widows. And so uh, we're beginning to turn the page and we'll begin to transition because we see it small in small glimpses that that Stephen was a uh, Hellenistic Jew. That means he wasn't a Jerusalem Jew. Uh, you can tell by, even by his name. Uh, but kind of what he was doing at his, as his ministry, he was kind of popping through the synagogues in Jerusalem. Uh, they, were, they say that there were upwards to over 480 different synagogues within Jerusalem. Uh, they were set up for uh, the, Gentile, or the Jews that live in Gentile areas. When they come to Jerusalem for festivals and feasts, they would have their own little place to worship, if you will. Uh, and so he would go to the different uh, uh, 
synagogues, and he would begin to talk about Jesus and things like that. Uh, and so he begins to, you see through his ministry there that uh, the gospel begins to go outside of Jerusalem, but it still hasn't been fully uh, immersed outside of Jerusalem. Then in Acts 7 or 6, Stephen is accused uh, of blasphemy against God, Moses, the law, and the temple. So we spent the last two weeks walking through his, his, uh, his defense of those things. Uh, that, and I want to remind you how I started the first week when we started talking about Acts or Stephen was that what we understand through Stephen's defense is that Stephen had an unwavering confidence that God was sovereign over all of human history. Uh, and we see that really transpire here in his final moments of his life. Let me read uh, this passage to you. Acts 7, verse 54 says this. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. I mean, remember the, San the Sanhedrin, the, the religious elite, the, 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 the ones who hold all the power, the prestigious people. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he... Notice the contrast all as we walk through this. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they, were, as they were stoning Stephen, check that, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now let's jump down to chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And check this. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He, uh, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your precious word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we do pray that as we open your word, your spirit will speak. That your spirit will illuminate our eyes to see truth. God, that we will see Stephen's life and his death. And God, that we may be challenged and we may be encouraged um, to stay faithful to you regardless of what's going on around us. So God, we again, we pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So as we walk through this passage, you see things get pretty crazy pretty quick. Uh, they, Stephen begins to speak and he, he speaks for 53 uh, verses, if you will, of his defense. And last week, Luke kind of ended and this was kind of the, when, so in verse 54 it says, when they heard these things, what are these things that they heard? Now they heard a lot, but the things that they really heard was really verse 51. It says, you stiff necked people, which literally means people who resist the bow. Uh, you keep your neck stiff, like you resist to bow. It's kind of like baby Rhett up here. Uh, the dude is like strong and you're trying to hold him, making him go to sleep. He just does this, 
right? Anybody know babies when they do that? And you can't, you're talking about strength, like strength of a baby trying to bend a baby, do that. Uh, but anyway, he's stiff-necked, and so uh, he calls him stiff-necked uh, and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have betrayed and murdered. And this is the big one. You who received the law delivered by the angels and did not keep it. So when you heard the, these are the things that they heard. The way that I want to break this passage down this morning is really making four contrasts. The text does it itself. Uh, you saw it. It says, now they but Stephen uh, and then Stephen, but they, there's a contrast that naturally goes through this text. And really this contrast is a stark contrast. And I see two things. One, you see this, this rage of the world. And the other side, you see this peace and this calmness of a man who knows he's with God. And so that's kind of the picture of what's going on. And so if you're taking notes, number one is that they were filled with rage. Stephen was filled with the spirit. That they were filled with rage and Stephen was filled with spirit. Look at the text. It says, now when they heard these things, we talked about that, they were enraged, which literally means they were cut to the heart. In the, in the original language, it literally means to be sawed in half. That when they heard these things, when they heard Stephen give his defense, when they heard Stephen walk through their Old Testament, their ancestry and say, hey, listen to me, you got it wrong. Your father's got it wrong. If you're, if you're basing your salvation and hope because you're a Jew, then you're no good. No, no hope for you is what he ultimately said to them. And when they heard it, when they heard the, the, the terminology, listen, you received the law from the angels, but you didn't keep it. You have all this pride and all these things, but you did not keep it. You've never bent or bowed your knee to God. It says that they were, they were cut to the heart. They were sawed in half. And that, isn't, that, isn't that exactly what Hebrews tells us about the word of God? That's what it does in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow. And here's the big part, you ready? And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's why many times, definitely whenever we, we're rebelling and whenever we're not walking in relationship with the Lord, we despise his word because his word gets in our business. Right. It says that says not only does it like gives this picture of this sharp sword dividing soul and spirit joints and errors, but it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And what happened here, here, here these people are over and over again. They've heard this gospel message over and over again. They've heard Peter preach and they've heard so and so preach. They've heard the gospel message over and over again, but they continue to resist. And this finally, it was enough that they literally, their, their intent of their heart, the desires of their heart were literally put out before them and it enraged them. Man, it sounds like our culture. It sounds like, it sounds like many people who even come to church. That's why we at Crosswell, we say, hey, we want to devote ourselves to teaching the word of God. Because the word of God is, is sharp, it's alive, it's active, it does its own work, it doesn't need our help. And exactly what Stephen did was just walk through the word of God and it literally cut them in half. They were completely exposed of hypocrisy and rebellion. And it says that they were so infuriated that they ground their teeth at him. Remember, this is like the, the prestigious people are now the little chihuahua 
and the back of a vehicle in a Walmart parking lot when you walk by. They're literally growling, gnashing their teeth at Stephen. Biblically, the gnashing of teeth is an expression of rage and frustration. You, you read it in a couple different places in Psalms and even in the book of Revelation. After one of the final judgments that we read, it says that those who uh, that were under the judgment literally gnashed their teeth in frustration. It's an expression of total rage. At this point, they were past like letting it go. At this point, they were past like, eh. They were literally so enraged that they expressed their rage through growling, through gnashing their teeth. This is the callousness of a heart of its fullest extent. They rejected so much that their hearts were turned over to anger. I wrote this down, the continuing hardening of a heart can turn to a calloused heart, which unfortunately we don't talk about this a lot, is, is the judgment of God. Do you realize every time we sit under the gospel presentation that God is not required to extend an invitation to us? So every time we sit under a gospel presentation, the more we harden our heart towards the things of God, the more our hearts become calloused and the more we're going to despise the word of God, the more we're going to despise the man of God who stands up and just opens up the pages. Why? Because the, the, the word is going to dive and it's going to expose the intents of our hearts. And what we see is these guys who've constantly rejected and hardened their heart. Their hearts are so callous now that they're enraged so much they begin to act like animals. They're not even human at this point. And y'all, this is the literal picture of hell. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus describing hell says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them to the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Speaking of the Jews in Matthew 8, Jesus says this, I tell you, many will come from east and west, recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Literally, this picture, get this image of Stephen, who is, who, we don't know what he's doing. He's just standing there, and here's this Sandy. Here's these prestigious people who were so cut to the heart, they began growling at him. Stephen literally is in the, He's living in hell at this moment. It's a, it's a hellish moment. It's a picture of hell. Listen to me, and I, I wrote this down, is that when we think about hell, it says it's a, it's a place of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we think about hell, for many people in our culture, when we don't like to think about heaven and hell, we think we die and that's it. We Listen to me, there's, there's a place called heaven and there's a place called hell. And that place called hell, literally the description is, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if a person who's rejected Jesus dies, they don't just die and it's like, all right, life's over. 
What is the gnashing of teeth? It's, a, it's an expression of frustration, an expression of anger. So what is hell? An eternal, endless frustration, an eternal, endless anger, an expression of anger. Well, constantly, it doesn't get better. Listen, if you've rejected Jesus, it doesn't get better, better when you die. After you die, you're just going to get angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier and more frustrated and more frustrated. It's an eternal gnashing of teeth. So Stephen is literally experiencing hell on earth. So they were filled with rage. But Stephen was fulfilled with the spirit. Look, keep reading. It says, and they were, when they heard these things, they were, they were enraged and they, they, they ground their teeth in him. They gnashed their teeth in him. But verse 55 says, but he, full of the spirit. Man, what a contrast. All right? I think about, like, you know, we're relaxed in church, but think about the intensity of this moment. These guys who, who didn't even speak up loud are now growling at this guy. And what's, what, what Luke writes about Stephen is that he was just, he was full of the Spirit. When we think about it, we think about the peace and the confidence that Stephen had at this moment. He was full of the Spirit. And that's actually, he being full literally means it's continual and it's ongoing. Stephen didn't have to like pause the pump the brakes real quick to get spirit filled. Like he didn't have to adjust his life whenever moments like this happened. This, then when this, this situation unfolded, he didn't go, all right, I got to prepare myself for this. No, he, he was being controlled by the spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What we are seeing here, we've already seen it, right? Remember uh, at the end of Acts 6, whenever they made the accusations against him, and they looked at Stephen, what did it say? And gazing at him, all who sat on the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What we're seeing in Stephen is as he's following and submitting to the Lord, no matter how hostile things are going around him, that God is giving him a grace uh, with, via his spirit to remain at peace no matter what situation he's in. That God is granting him peace. Spirit granted Stephen grace in the midst of this hellish moment. I wrote this down that God will grant you the grace to be obedient even in the most difficult times. In the midst of this angry moment, Stephen was at complete peace. How? Because he was filled with the Spirit. He knew that God was sovereignly ruling all things. He could trust God with where he was. Listen to me, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit in our life, and we're walking by the Spirit, it increases our trust that God knows what He's doing. And that God is sovereign over all things. And I, I wrote this down, I don't know if it's going to come on the screen, but somebody needs to hear this this morning. God doesn't ask for our understanding in all things, but He asks for our trust in all things. I'm sure Stephen, part of him was like, I didn't see it going this way. But if God could sovereignly rule all of redemptive history, and we say this to the point of like when Messiah was going to show up on the scene and how he was going to enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and what day he was going to die and give us pictures of him being in a, 
in a tomb for three days by the guy in the Old Testament named Jonah who was in a well. Like if he can orchestrate all of those things, then he's got, he's got my life under control. Right? And I don't have to understand it all. I don't have to understand all the, all the well, how, why, why are these things not lining up? He doesn't ask me to understand it all because I'm not God. We're not wired. Listen to me, I want to relieve you for a moment. God doesn't expect you to understand everything. So if everything about life is I got to understand this, if I I can't understand it, then there's no meaning, there's no purpose. Listen to me, God's not asking you to understand, child of God. He's asking you to trust that he's God. And that's where we see Stephen is that because he was full of the spirit, he was at peace. Hey, his face could have still been like the face of an angel. It doesn't say it went off of his face. They were gnashing their teeth and he could have just been like this. First contrast is they were filled with rage, but Stephen was filled with the Spirit. Second is Stephen had spiritual sight, and they were spiritually blind. Look at verse 55b. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they, here's the contrast, but they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Stephen had spiritual sight while they were spiritual blind. Look at Stephen. First of all, it says that as they're gnashing their teeth at him, he gazed into heaven. That he was literally looking for Jesus. That he was, he was, He was filled by the Spirit, which means to be controlled by the Spirit, to be under the dominion of the Spirit. And whenever he, I think uh, we talked about it, he knew where this was going to go. They were literally growling at him, and he was gazing into heaven. He was looking for Jesus. The Spirit, listen to me. This is just good things to know as a child of God. The Spirit always points to Jesus. So if you're listening or a part of anything, like your favorite preacher on YouTube or whatever, if it's not making much of Jesus, then it's not of the Spirit. That's what 1 John teaches us. And what we see is that Stephen was filled by the Spirit, even though hell was unfolding in front of him, his eyes were toward heaven. His eyes were, and it says that he he gazed, means he fixed his look, he fixed his eye on it says, and he, he gazed in heaven and he saw the glory of God. Do you realize there's only a few people in the Bible that actually saw the glory of God, like had the opportunity and the blessing to see the glory of God? There's not many. Right? If you walk, I mean, yet, you, you know, Moses, Isaiah, there's, there's not many people who actually had the opportunity to see the glory of God. Actually, Luke says here that he gazed into heaven and God gave him the the blessing of being able to see his glory, to see his Shekinah glory, the same glory that, that, that protected Israel uh, as they were coming out of Egypt and to the promised land that, that was with them, that he was able to see the glory. And it says this, so he was able to, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That he saw Jesus standing at the right hand hand of God. Listen to me. Hey, Stephen, I, I thought about this this week. Stephen was the first 
person to see Jesus in his glorified ascended, like before Peter, before all that he was actually able to see Jesus in his glorified ascended position. But did you notice that it says he was standing at the right hand of God? Anybody catch that? So I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Remember, usually if we read the scripture, it says that Jesus is what? He's at the right hand of God, but what is he doing? He's seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. But here in this passage, he says, behold, I see, I see the glory of God and, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And let me just kind of teach something for a moment. Is that, yes, we see most in the scripture that he's seated. And, but more than anything, that's seated at the right hand of the Father gives a picture of completion. As in the work that he came to do is finished. He, he is sat down and he is satisfied with the work that he came to do, right? So when we think about the Jesus being seated, it's, it's, a, it's a place of authority. It's a place of sovereignty. It's a place of completion of a job well done. But here it says that he's standing. And here I believe that it's, this standing is, first of all, it's a sign of concern for Stephen. But listen to me. It's a sign of welcoming to Stephen. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He, he, the, the, the Jesus knows where Stephen is, and he, he's concerned about him. As a matter of fact, this is awesome. Luke, help me see this this week. It's actually a, it's a, it's a, a fulfilled promise of Isaiah 66. So if you have your Bibles, just go up a couple of verses in chapter 7. I had to put this in the screen. But whenever Stephen is given his defense and he's talking about the tabernacle, he actually quotes Isaiah 66, verse 1. And he says this in verse 49 of Acts chapter 7. He says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So if you go to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, here it is. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Now look at verse 2. But this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I don't think it's any coincidence. Stephen was quoting Isaiah 66 in his defense, and we see Jesus fulfill the promise of verse 2 by looking upon the one who is humble and contrite and trembling at his word. His eyes are on those who are humble and contrite, on those who tremble at his word. And listen to me, Stephen was so enthralled at what he saw, he burst out with joy and anticipation and said, behold, as in, hey, y'all listen up. I know you're gnashing your teeth, but just be quiet for a second. I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. Right, can, can, like, Let's try to go there. Here's Nash, you give to you. Hey, hey, y'all be quiet. I see Jesus and he's standing at the, I see the son of man and he's standing at the right hand of the father. And I believe this was the final straw for them. His joy and his anticipation, actually I think it was the final straw for them because it was the greatest blow to their hypocrisy and rejection. They said, Justin, why do you say that? Because just like Stephen, there's another guy who was falsely accused. His name was Jesus. And he went before a trial. And when, they're, uh, when he's in trial, Matthew 26, verses 63 and 64, it says this, But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest, who could potentially be in the same Sanhedrin story of Stephen, and the high priest 
said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What is Stephen doing? He's ultimately indicting them because this is the same thing Jesus told them just a couple time, a couple, a little earlier. You will see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. And they killed him. And Stephen says, listen to me. But I see him, and he's exactly where he told you he was going to be. So they had two options, whether admit that they were wrong or kill him. And pride makes you do stupid things. Verse 57 says, and they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. This, in the, in, the, in the original text, this isn't like three different actions, as in like they cried out, and then they stopped their ears, and then they rushed. It's, it's all happening at the same time. As soon as he says this, they just yell. So they go from growling to howling. And they stop their ears because they don't want to hear it anymore. And all together, they rush towards him, and it's, in, it's just an impulse. Stephen has spiritual sight, but because of their religious hypocrisy, they were spiritually blind. And so what did they do? They just started yelling to kind of, actually, sorry, Rhett stories. This may be a bad dad story, but sometimes when Rhett's crying, I just get louder than him, make him get confused. Like, you know, he's crying, I'll go, ah, or I start singing loud, and he'll go. That's kind of what I picture is going on right here is that, that he's, I see him standing at the right, and they're going, ah! Like they just start howling at him to get louder than him. They shove their ears together, and they run towards him. They cried out with a loud voice, because he just told them they carried on the same tradition of their fathers and rejected the one who God sent. They stopped their ears not to hear him anymore. This word rush is a, is a crazy word. It's the same word. Remember when Jesus cast the demon out of the man? And the gospels, and they go into the, the, the herd of swine and they rush into the Sea of Galilee. This is, that's the same word that Luke writes here, that when they rushed to him, it was violent rage. So they, they, they yelled and they covered the ears and they just rushed towards Stephen, all in unison, all together. Because they were spiritually blind. They had, to say it in Justin's terms, they had lost their minds. So now, listen to me. Casting away all dignity, the highest court in Israel is now reduced to a howling, murderous mob. Third contrast. We see in verse 58 and 59, they thought that death would be his end, but Stephen knew it was only the beginning. Verse 58, so 57 says they rushed together Against him, verse 58 says, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. So they didn't have any justification for killing him, but at least they, you know, somehow obeyed the law and at least kicked him out of the city first. And so you still <laughs> see a lot of their legalism here. Uh, we can't kill him here. We've got to get him out of the city. We, we can't kill him because the law says we don't have any reason to, but we at least got to obey the law enough to get him out of the city. And so they, they kick him out of the city. And check out 
The second part of 58, it says, and the witnesses, so these would be the same witnesses that we see in Acts chapter 6, who they summoned, who they, who they, got, they instigated for them to come up with false, false accusations. Y'all remember Acts chapter 6? And the reason why it had to be these witnesses is because one of the Old Testament uh, ways that you judge someone who's blasphemed is that you stone them, and there had to be witnesses there. And in the stoning, those witnesses will be the first ones to cast the first stones. Right? So you have these witnesses who were instigated in chapter 6 to come up with false accusations. Now they're going to be the ones with the stones in their hands. So it says these witnesses. And so you would think, no, they are enraged, even these witnesses. And so it says that they, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So literally... This isn't anything crazy fancy. Literally, is they're taking off layers so they can hurl stones. They're literally taking off their garments and they go take it. And so evidently, Saul, who newsflash becomes Paul, the greatest missionary, right? Evidently, he was heavenly involved in Stephen's death here. He may not have been throwing stones, but he actually, verse 1 of 8, chapter 8 says he approved it. But they literally took their garments and laid it at his feet. And listen to me. And we'll catch this later on, but man, this, this is a day that Paul never forgot. Some people even believe that this was actually his thorn in the flesh. Some people say it was a physical element. Some, some, say, some people think that Stephen was actually Paul's thorn in the flesh. Actually, in Acts chapter 22, he talks about how he, he, he can't forget it. As a matter of fact, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but there are things that Paul writes. Obviously, I know he was spirit-led, uh, but there are things that he wrote that I, I, I got to guess he learned it from Stephen. Like, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Like, we're going, he's going he's gonna to see that real, like, anyway. I got to finish the sermon, and I got notes I got to go through. So, the witnesses lay their garments at the feet of a young named Saul. So then, then uh, they kicked him out of the city. So let me tell you how stoning usually would go. We don't know if they did it this way because Stephen's still able to talk. Uh, we don't know if they were in such a frenzy that they just all started hurling. But this is how the stoning process usually would happen. And it's important for us to catch this because the next verse about Stephen says, as these things were happening. All right, so this is what could have been happening. If this was the way that they usually do stoning is that uh, they would take up uh, the, the victim or the guy, the criminal, uh, this place, not criminal, Stephen, and there would be this kind of ledge that dropped down into like at least a 10-foot hole. And what they would do is they would make them face like this, and they would come behind them, and the first, the first witness would push the guy head first. So hopefully, when he fell, he would break his neck and die. Many died like that. If they didn't die, then the second witness would take a big stone or a big boulder and cast it down on the person who's in the bottom and try to hit their heart to kill them. If it kills them, awesome. If that doesn't happen, then the other witness would come, and they would toss it again. And if it still didn't kill him, then everybody that was there would begin to grab stones and begin to stone the guy. So listen to me, as this was happening, so rather like that actual process was happening or this frenzied people who were enraged and cut to their heart, gnashing their teeth, stopping theirs, rather they all just got there and all started grabbing rocks, we don't know. But we know that Stephen was being stoned and they thought killing him would be his end. But look, Stephen, verse 59, 
And as they were stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And that sounds awfully familiar to someone who else who was falsely accused of blasphemy against God, Moses, temple, law. When the Lord Jesus was on the cross, we understand that he prayed for God to receive his spirit. Stephen had full expectation that when he died, he would be in the presence of Jesus. Man, what resolve. What calm and peace. Being full of the spirit that even though hell is going on around you, even as you're being stoned, complete confidence that heaven is the guarantee for the believer. Fourthly, and I'm done with this. They were filled with hate, but Stephen was filled with love. Look at verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What? As they were literally killing him, he asked for God not to hold the sin against them. He's literally praying for their salvation, the very ones that were killed. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? When our Lord Jesus is on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's a whole sermon in here in just a transformed life of a believer from accusations all the way to, to death. But that's not the sermon here. But what we see is that even as, even as he was being killed, he prayed for those who were killing him. Who am I to hold a grudge against anybody? Can we just time out and step out of the text for a moment? Like, if Stephen can literally, and listen to me. So Jesus did it, cool, so he's Jesus. He's the son of God. Like, he's on the cross. That's what it came for. Like, kudos to him. He's God. We're not. Flip to the other side. Here's a guy named Stephen who literally is asking God to, the very sin of killing him, asking, hey, God, do we, we, ultimately, will you look the other way? Like, will you not charge them for what they're doing to me? Uh, who am I to hold on to petty stuff? Who am I to hold on to, hold forgiveness to someone who's wronged me? Who am I? Who are you? I'll say, who are you? Justin, you don't know, that I do not know what they do, but they have not put you in a hole and trying to kill you with stones. He praised that prayer, and there was a guy named Saul. One guy I read said, we owe Paul to the prayer of Stephen. As Stephen prayed for God to save them, and God saved one of them named Paul. His name Saul, who became Paul. Is there someone that you are withholding forgiveness from this morning? Is there somebody that you need to 
go talk to. Is there somebody you need to just go, hey, I am called to forgive as I've been forgiven, and God has forgiven me much. Because this, y'all know this, I've said this enough. Most of the time, the only person that is suffering from unforgiveness is the one who's holding on to it. It's like a poison you drink thinking somebody else is going to die from it. Because look at the next verse. When he said this, he fell asleep. It doesn't say his brains were beat in or they killed him. They kept beating him until literally he fell asleep. Peace. In the midst of hell, he falls asleep. He fell asleep at peace. A couple things in chapter 8 says Saul approved of his execution. That becomes, probably becomes a major factor. The second thing is a major factor for the rest of the book of Acts is the rest of part of verse 1 it says, And there was arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And what happened? They were scattered. Two crazy points that are not even on the application is. God can save the chief of sinners and God can take whatever sin of man to further his kingdom what happened when they killed Stephen persecution happened well what happened the church scattered to different places and what happened is those people in Judea and Samaria became became followers of Jesus how'd that happen because sinners were sinning and killed Stephen check out verse 2 devout men buried Stephen and made great limitation of him scripture Old Testament law told them after they stoned somebody they had, to, they had to bury him. They were so enraged and upset and infuriated they left him. And later on devout men had to come and take Stephen and go bury him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church entering the house after those he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I can't wait to kind of dive into that. But here are a few take homes for you. And this is just, don't keep hardening your heart to Jesus. I think that's the first one. Yeah. Because that's just a, it's a place that, hey, we're not promised. The invitations keep coming. If God's been calling you in salvation, if God's been calling you to forgive somebody, if God's been calling you to Whatever, stop hardening your heart towards Christ. Because the more you harden it, the more calloused it becomes. The more unpenetrable it comes, becomes. Second thing is that God looks upon the humble and the contrite. So Justin, I'm going through Going through tough times, you know. How much? What I want to tell you is that God sees you. He looks towards the humble and the contrite. It's a promise that we see in Isaiah sixty-six. What's the next one? Yeah, who do you need to forgive? I didn't know what my order was in. Who do you need to forgive? Because I mean, let's be honest. We can't go to this text and see Stephen praying for his executioners and at least not think about that. Maybe that's just me. Next one, Jesus has promised to be with you from this life to the next. 
in Psalm 23. We read at funerals often. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I'll tell you what that cool thing about that is. Is that in life we have, just say, and I think I've shared this before, but say if we're fortunate enough to live a life, or, or even if we've been sick and we have our family with us when we go from this life to the next, our family and our loved ones can only walk so far with us. Right? There comes a point that they can't walk any further. Everybody with me? Everybody, y'all been there before. But here's the beauty of Jesus, is that he walks with us from this life to the next. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So even if I'm walking through death, I'm not fearful because you are with me. Jesus has promised to be with you from this life to the next. The last one is heaven is a guarantee for the believer. We see that in Stephen's life. Hey, this morning, how, what's God, how's God speaking to you? How's God calling you? Is he calling you to, to lay down some pride, to, to confess some sin, to, to, to allow him to soften in your heart and heart? Because you've been resisting, you've been putting off, you've been denying. That's a dangerous slope to be on. Can we just submit and say, God, I confess. I confess of my Resistance. I confess of my rejection and hardening. <clears throat> Somebody just be reminded that God sees you. He sees where you are. Nothing this world can throw at you takes his eye off of you. Even if you've rebelled, even if you've resisted, even if you've walked away. Scripture says that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Will you return to him? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for just Stephen and his example of of what it looks like to be spirit-filled. That being spirit-filled isn't that we just say crazy things or do supernatural, crazy miracles, but God, being filled with the Spirit is that we're at peace with where we are, that we trust you in all circumstances. Being filled with the Spirit is that we're enabled to forgive. So God, I pray for how you're speaking to hearts this morning. God, I pray that we'll respond in a way that glorifies So Christ, let me pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll be standing down front if you need to talk. And if you're a lady who may not feel comfortable talking to a dude, then I can connect you to other ladies. Uh, but let's just move as, as God leads.